0: Well, once again, it's time to go inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Summeler, and I am very excited to be with you. Yes, this is my excited voice. And this episode of Inside EMS is sponsored by Image Trend, the creators of Elite Community Health for truly patient centric community paramedicine documentation and reporting. I got to tell you, I am very excited to talk to you today. Kelly Grayson is on special assignment. And I am flying solo. i got to tell you, it's like uh, missing your right arm. I, I, I reached for something and it wasn't there. And uh, I just hope that I can be as entertaining as when he is here. But uh, I probably have to doubt that because he does uh, is such an integral part of the show. But uh, we do miss him. And we'll have him back here next week once his special assignment is over. But i got to tell you, I am very excited. You know, we talk a lot about community paramedicine, and we and we know that this is what the future of EMS is going to look like. And people keep saying, you know, this new community paramedicine thing. And it's funny when they say that, because sometimes I find myself saying it too, but I've got to remind people that we are into this transition over a decade. This is our 11th year. I mean, I helped start the first program at MedStar in 2008, and there were programs that were kicking up in the Carolinas before that. So when we think about this transition to community paramedicine, we're really into this. We're invested in this process. And every year we start to see more and more growth within this space. And we start to see, you know, laws that come up and rules that come up at the state level. And and we really have to pull the reins in because we don't know what community paramedicine is going to look like five years from now. And really, when we think about this transition The way that we're doing business today is not the way that we're going to be doing business in five years. It may not even be the way we're doing business in two years, because I got to tell you, it's a lot different than it was last year. But today, I've got a great guest who's going to come in here and talk about the program that he's working in. His name is J.D. Postage, and he is a community paramedic. He's also a health and wellness coach. I do want to touch on that a little bit, and he represents Violet Township Fire Department, which is just on, the, just on the outskirts of Columbus, and well, I got to tell you, when I was uh, stationed in uh, Wright Patterson, Dayton, Ohio, JD, the best place for me to go was Columbus because they had girls out there and they had some really great bars down on High Street. But I want to welcome you to the inside EMS
1: podcast. Thanks, Chris, for having me. I'm, I'm blessed to be here, and I, I, I truly appreciate this opportunity to to be on this podcast.
0: You know, one of the things that you know I have the opportunity to do in my business is I I go and travel around the United States. I help people set up community paramedic programs. You know, and I get to interact with a lot of different people and a lot of different things that are going on in different communities. You know, one of the things that we talk about is the the word community means that no two programs are alike because they, you know, they really kind of set up to the individual community. And as you're in this process now of running the program for Violet Township Fire Department, what is it that you saw was the biggest need of a community paramedicine program for your, uh, for your agency and, and the citizens you serve?
1: Well, when we started out uh, about four years ago, maybe running on five now, we looked at you know partnering with some health systems, and you know we did that community needs assessment uh, not only for the fire department but for the health system, which is Malcarmel Health Systems. And what we did was we found out that you know there was some glaring needs, and, and one of the big things was you know the readmission, especially with you know when we talk about congestive heart failure. But not only that, but with our fire department, uh, our guys were running on people repeatedly. And it was, you know, the same thing over and over. It was the same story. And so what can we do to help those uh, high utilizers and, and and kind of break that cycle? Because the, the thing about the fire department is, is if, you know, your kitchen sink leaks, uh, I'm sorry, leaks, or you got a broken hot water tank, who do you call? You know, we're supposed to know it all. So it's kind of like we, we, we had problems, but we, at the time, we didn't have any solutions. So with community paramedicine, that was just a great fit. So now we have a solution to these high utilizers, and we can fix some of these small problems so that they obviously don't keep calling 911.
0: You know, I think that that's a great thing. And that's what a lot of people start to do. And, you know, when people, you know, they, they start to think about how do they grow a business of community paramedicine, the very first thing that I tell them is exactly what you just said. This isn't about growing a program outside of your, of your walls right now. You need to figure out how does community paramedicine help your agency? And then when you start to think about that help within the agency, and you have that, then you go to your medical centers and say, well, how can we help you with your high utilizers? Or how can we help you with your readmission problem? But a lot of people kind of forget that, uh, JD, that they that they kind of look at it more globally to say, well, well, how do we start to get some reimbursement, when instead, this should be a resource within the walls of your own organization.
1: Absolutely. We always talk about reimbursement, how are we going to get reimbursed for what we do, but with our organization we're funded by tax levies so it goes back to we're keeping our community safe and happy so it's one of those things that the fire department is now more visible in the community we're taking more of a proactive approach to people's health so when it comes levy time we look at you know people are going to look at hey you know JD was in my home and he helped me with this or the guys came out and they helped me with this i mean we're out in the community more and more we have more exposure so when it comes levy time you know the likelihood of us passing a levy you know goes up tremendously you know it's kind of like it's almost sometimes that we we we're, we're already you know you know trying to sell ourselves for the next levy
0: you know and i think that that's a really great point because one of the things that uh, always happens is that as you start to go out for that tax increase or the tax levy, depending on where you are in the United States is depending on what it's called, people are always going to ask, what's the value? Why am I paying more money to something that I don't even use? I've never had to call the fire department. I've never had to call the ambulance. Why am I paying more money? But now when you start to get into this community paramedicine realm and this community paramedicine transition now this really affects, you know, the people who are older and the people who are in need and the people who are needing connection to those community resources. And I think that we forget that sometimes. This is a way not only to educate the people on what EMS and FIRE are doing for them, but also to get them on our side when it comes time to growing the program.
1: Chris, you make a great point. I mean, you're you're right. We're out there educating, you know, our community. And the like you said, it's the older community. And those are the people that are on a fixed income. So they're going to be asking, what am I getting for my money? And here, we're taking a proactive approach to them, to their health. So I've been in homes where they haven't even had to ever call 911, but I'm in there trying to make solutions for them to stay in their homes. And and that makes them happy because they don't have to go to a facility now. So it's kind of like, we are educating them about their own health and wellness and trying to keep them in their homes where they're, they're staying there safely and they're staying there longer. And in the end, when it comes tax time, they're going to remember what we did for them and they're going to want to check that box. Yes.
0: Right. I agree with you hundred percent. So, you know, one of the things uh, JD that I think is really, really challenging is that we need to be able to identify the gaps and the needs, you know, within our community, within our organizations, that really kind of help us build the relationships in the community to start to strengthen, you know, to start and and even to make it stronger, a community paramedic program. You've been doing it for a bit. So as you started out, what was the best way that you kind of went out into the community to build these relationships? And, and think about it from the standpoint of the people who may be listening to this show that they want to go ahead and do that. I mean, what advice do you have to give them in this realm?
1: The best advice I could tell you is is if you get a resource, reach out to them. Or if somebody stops at your firehouse and wants to meet with you, you meet with them because you just never know what they're going to provide to you. So you're meeting with a home health agency, and then they give you two other resources that you may not have known about that will help you down the road. The biggest thing is, is I, I I never turn anybody away. I always try to meet with everybody, whether it's a home health company or a home aid company, or it's a mental health agency, or it's a physician's office or a visiting physician. You know, anything I could do to strengthen my my relationship within the community, I I'm going to try to do. And the, the the tough thing that I hear about in other communities is breaking down those silos of healthcare. And at first, when we started out doing that, especially with, you know, when we talk about mental health is is there's always that barrier between the medical and mental health. It it, it was, it was challenging, but, you know, continually meeting with them and explaining to them what you're going to do and explaining resources that you have. And it's not always sometimes about their mental health, but it's about other things that are keeping them from following through with their mental health. It's that social determinants of health. You know, can they pay for their rent? Can they pay for their prescriptions? And, always trying to find resources within the community that, that will help them out. Uh, it, it, it's taken a while to get where I'm at, so it's not going to be overnight that you're going to build all these relationships. It's just about finding out what's in your community and, and not being afraid to pick up the phone call and have a meeting with them and explaining to them that you're not here as competition, but you're here as collaboration to make the community healthier.
0: You know, I think that you bring up a really good point. One of the things that you said was meet with everybody. You don't know who's going to be a resource. You don't know who's going to be somebody who wants to donate to the program. You don't know somebody who doesn't have a family member that's in in need of the services. And the more and more people that you engage with is the more and more people that are going to be on your side when you start to talk about the development of this program. But I'll ask you, though, as you were into this process of developing your program new, there wasn't really a playbook. I mean, you talk about 2016 when you were doing this, JD. I mean, what was the biggest mistake or the biggest lesson you learned during the start of this program?
1: You know, the biggest thing, too, that I've learned is, is you've got to be patient. It takes a while for patients to come around to change sometimes. It takes a while to build those relationships. You're not going to immediately have that buy-in until you have those small victories. It's the same way here at the firehouse. You know, it's kind of one of those things that the guys were first skeptical about me going out and doing home visits and how is that going to impact the fire department. But, you know, it's those small little, uh, you know, victories with patients. You know, we had a patient that I first engaged in that they were going out every other day to pick him up. Now, it took me, you know, a couple weeks, but once we got him to where he had all the resources he needed, you know, but now the guys weren't going out there at two or three o'clock in the morning and you had those little victories and it built morale. Um, and, and, and the, the biggest thing too, is, is I, I met with each one of the crews before we started this and said, look, this is going to be a work in progress. It's not going to be a, a cure all. It's not going to be a, a fix to everything. However, if you guys give me some time and give me some patience, we'll eventually get there to where some of these high utilizers we won't be running on. And, and it's all, it, the biggest thing that, that I did was I met with the crews, and, and you've got to get the buy-in from, from the guys. And, and if I didn't do that, I would probably be fighting an uphill battle until I had some of those small victories. Um, so you, the biggest thing that I learned is patience and and you're not always going to get buy-in right away from all the people that you meet with. And and that's sometimes tough because you want that immediate relationship.
0: You know, I, I want to ask you this question because, you know, when you talk about a sustainable program, You really have to be able to prove the metrics, prove the outcomes that your program is being successful, right? So what are you using to document and how do you use your data to show that your program is being successful? Because when we talk about it, it may seem like a weird question, but when we talk about documenting and, and, you know, having the ability to pull out outcomes and metrics and so on and so forth, this has to be a foundation of every single program. How did you guys... uh, how did you guys work with that and find a solution?
1: So what we use is right now is we use ImageTrend Community Health as our, our platform, and we build out worksheets. And one of the big metrics that our chief uses right now is he looks at, especially for the referrals that come in through the fire department, is he looks at run volume before I engaged and after I engaged. And, and we're trying to go out six months before and then, we wait about six to twelve months afterwards, and seeing if there's a decrease in 911 responses at the facility, or or to that patient's house. And um, some of the other data metrics we're still trying t- to figure out. We just recently got some data metrics from one of our local Advantage plans, and you know we're looking at you know interventions that we're doing at the home now, and we're using worksheets through Image Trend to track that. What in- interventions that we have? Did we did we uh, um, correct some transportation needs? Did we do a home safety assessment? Did we do a med reconciliation or a medication review? Um, was there a discrepancy? So we're looking at all those things and pulling that data and figuring out, okay, would that made a difference in the patient, you know, going to the hospital or going to the ER, and and how do you s- uh, scrapulate that data into you know numbers that or or dollar figures? And that's the that right now, that's our challenge is trying to get that into dollar figures.
0: No, you're absolutely right. Because I talk about community paramedicine being in three phases. And you guys may have heard me say this before. First phase was how do we develop a program? Second phase was now that we develop the program, who the heck do we help and how do we help them? And now the third phase is what we seem we've been swimming in for a while is how do we pay for it? And where's the sustainable revenue? So as you have this good documentation, And as you have this good metrics and outcomes that you're able to share and kind of put that into money savings and cost savings, that's what gets people really interested. But I wanna go ahead and just touch on that. ImageTrend Elite Community Health supports patient-centric care documentation. Whether you're a standalone mobile integrated healthcare and community paramedicine solution or integrated with your elite EPCR, providers can take advantage of an exclusive timeline to view and compare vitals, medications and procedures from previous visits. With integrated reporting, departments can monitor patient progress and demonstrate program effectiveness. Learn more about Elite Community Health at imagetrend.com slash CP. I do want to switch gears a little bit, JD, because you have a really unique program. I, I talked about it a little bit in the beginning where I said community, no two programs are alike because every community is different. You've got a great program that deals with substance abuse And really kind of even alcoholism, I guess that's substance abuse too, if we kind of figure it out, it's called Project Fort. And can you just give me a little bit about, a little bit of overview, and I want to ask you a couple questions. Because, you know, I've said this for a lot of years, that no two community paramedic programs are alike, right? But it seems that the common denominator that we have is mental health issues and substance abuse issues. So maybe in that regard, some community paramedic programs will be alike. But what I think we need to do is find some best practices of what what agencies are doing for mental health and what agencies are doing for substance abuse. And I think you've got a great little foundation here to talk about.
1: Yes, so project four is what we call the Fairfield County Overdose Response Team. It was started about two and a half years ago. between uh, Violet Township, the Major Crimes Unit, uh, and the Major Crimes Unit actually investigates all uh, drug-related offenses for four or five different counties and um, the Adam Board of Fairfield County. And then what we done did is we all sat in a room and said, hey, look, we, we know we have a growing trend with substance abuse, and, and not only that, we have a growing trend with some mental health. So what do we do to alleviate this problem how do we fix this problem and and we knew that we had resources within the county so how do we circle the wagons all come together and you know kind of fill in the gaps within the community and the nice thing about our, our little group and it's grown now it started out about five or six of us two and a half years ago now it's over 40 agencies that'll come not only inside the county, but outside the county. We got people driving down from uh, Atwood Lake, you know, they have a substance abuse center up there for veterans. And and we got people coming from Toledo to listen to what we're doing and, and and trying to figure out, can they take that back to their community? But the nice thing about what we did was, was we checked the egos at the door. When, When we talk about the egos, it's the egos within their own health system, the mental health, the substance abuse, EMS, fire, police. We checked our egos at the door and said, look, we're here for the community. What do we need to do to fill these gaps? And we all came together and each one of us had a little piece of the pie and we were slowly trying to figure things out. You know, we looked at all the the stuff related to HIPAA and and the other um, uh, venues related to mental health that, that protects information from our mental health. So we came up with, okay, how do, how do we, be able to share information back and forth. So we came up with that. So what does the team consist of? And the c- team consists of, because we were kicking around the idea, community paramedic, you know, a, a gentleman from the major crimes unit. And we kicked around a case manager. We kicked around a peer advocate. And But what, what we found out, and after we had been talking, we found out the team should really consist of somebody from the major crimes unit, a community paramedic or a paramedic that is trained, you know, through Project Fort, and a peer advocate. We found that the peer advocate is more impactful because here's somebody who's been there, done that, and when they speak to the individual, they're speaking from experience. And sometimes that's more impactful when you're sitting in somebody's living room. Um, So, and we go out, and there's no set time, you know, that we go out. There's no set day of the week. We typically will follow up with somebody within 40 uh, 48 to 72 hours, and the reason why I say 72 hours because if an overdose happens on the on a Friday night, we we won't get to them until Monday. Um, but we do have access. The nice thing about the team is we do have access to a series of case managers or a crisis team if we need be to come out and help us out and try to figure out best solutions for the individual. So we'll figure out you know maybe the best place to place them and which different mental health or substance abuse agency within the county or maybe outside the county if it may be uh, an inpatient and then we figure out do they need detox and we do that through our cows and sewa training to figure out if we, they need detoxed or not
0: now, i gotta tell you man it sounds really amazing and you know how, so uh, does project fort stand for anything i mean it's kind of interesting how <laughs> is it an acronym for something or or how'd you come up with the name
1: so it, it, <laughs> that's a great question because it took us a while to come up with the name. We had, we had one of our planning sessions was just solely trying to figure out what is the name. So we came up with FORT, which stands for Fairfield County Overdose Response Team. And we put a... the O as overdose and not opioids because we knew that there was going to be other substances that right. we were going to be battling. Right. So we left the O as overdose response team.
0: Very cool. So any preliminary numbers? Can you tell us how, uh, you know, kind of success? Uh,
1: we're still working through some of those preliminary numbers. Uh, Scott Duff, who's the direct, actual director of Project 4, and he's housed at the Major Crimes Unit. He's got all those numbers. He's compiling those numbers for us right now. And uh, my hope is that our next meeting in February, we will have some hard numbers. Um, but we uh, the, we have had a lot of successes the first Project Fort patient that we engaged in, um, he comes back to the meeting still, and he's actually looking at becoming a peer advocate. Oh, very cool. Uh, we, we have another patient that was a Project Fort patient. He's actually going through fire and EMT school now.
0: Get out of here. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's been very impactful for a lot of people. Very um, cool. We'll, we'll even give out Narcan, too. So we'll train the family on how to use the Narcan and we'll give them actual Narcan kits, too.
0: Very good. You know, so one of the things that's really interesting that I find is, you know, you're probably one of the handful of fire departments who are actually in the community paramedicine business. I work with one uh, here in Missouri. There's certainly some great ones in the United States. And I've got to tip my hat to you to say that you're doing, uh, you know, you're setting the standards for others to follow when it comes to fire-based community paramedicine. So I applaud you guys there. But I guess my last question for you is, you know, when we go on scene as community paramedics, it's not the same as when we go on scene for a 911 call. Do you have any tips on scene interventions?
1: You know, that's a great point because typically in the emergency situation, somebody, you know, feels that they need us now. We're there for a potentially life-saving situation. Community paramedic is we're there for, you know, maybe, you know, a month, two months, three months, you know, four months—it it, it just really depends on the patient. And we typically, on the 911 side, we only are dealing with the patient for 20 or 30 minutes, and then that's it. Here, we're just dealing with the patient for 20 or 30 visits, and maybe more. So we're looking at long-term solutions when we're on the scene with the patient as a community paramedic versus 911. We're looking for the the short term. What's going to kill them now? well, we're trying to fix what could kill them later as a community paramedic, whether it's their diet, are they compliant with their meds? Is there any kind of social determinants to health that's keeping them from taking their meds? Or, you know, do they have this chronic depression that, you know, they may not see in a doctor's office, but it's rearing its ugly head while you're there in the house. Um, Scene safety, you still have to have that high index of suspicion, especially because you're the only one there in that home. And, you still got to try to maintain that, that, you know, high index of suspicion. Okay. What, what's around me, you know, this is the first time I'm meeting with a patient, you know, try not to put yourself in a corner. You still want to be careful with that because you're the only one there versus you may have two or three uh, guys or girls with you on the run. And and so you still want to make, make sure that you have that situational awareness about you. Even after you've been meeting somebody for 10, 15 times, you still want to try to maintain that because, Occasionally, we'll get complacent and comfortable with these people because now we're getting to know them. But if they have some sort of mental health issue at any time, they can flip that switch. And now you're putting into predicament where this patient was calm and now they're violent. So you still got to maintain that situational awareness.
0: I got to tell you, you have some great advice. And again, I think the program that you guys are running in, in Violet Township is uh, you know a, a great program. It sounds awesome. And it sounds like... It's meeting the needs of your community. i got to tell you, I want to thank you so much for joining me on this solo edition of Inside EMS. And if folks want to, if they have any more questions, is there a way that they can get in touch with you to kind of ask you and kind of gain a little bit of your expertise?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I could give you my cell phone. I I take uh, questions all the time. I I try to help people not only around the state but around the, the country to help out. I mean, I was blessed with a lot of great people to help me get where I'm at. You know, you, you look at the great programs down in Wake County, you look at Dan Swayze's program out in um, Pittsburgh, Matt Savansky down in Metzcar helped us out as well. I know I've talked to you in the past yep. about programs. So, I mean, it's, it's just the, the fact that we're all sharing the information and all trying to help each other because it, there's a lot of people got eyeballs on community paramedicine you know, lawmakers, different organizations, different associations that have eyeballs on us. And it's only going to take one program and they're going to say, see, that program failed. But if we all work together and all collaborate together, we're all going to succeed.
0: I agree. And I want to thank you for joining us once again on the show. Go ahead, kick out that phone number if people want it. Oh, sorry. It? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I mean, you're, you're, you're setting us, I mean, you're leaving us hanging, man. We're waiting for the phone number.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. So my cell phone is 614 uh, 614 614- 778-5561 and please if I don't answer leave me a message and I will get back with you. That's right and no calls after 11pm but
0: uh, uh, I'll just throw that in there for you but I want to thank you for joining <laughs> us and as you get more data I'd love to hear more about this project forward. You know let Kelly and I know we'd love to have you back on the show It'd uh, also make a great article for EMS1 but uh, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day and visiting with us.
1: Oh, uh, Chris I appreciate this opportunity it's great for the township it's great for the community and if I could help another program out to, to start up, that's a win-win for everybody as well.
0: I agree. And for everybody out there, I want to thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. That's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. So if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, email us at the show at ems onecom I'm Chris Dabalera I'm from my partner, Kelly Grayson. We look forward to chatting with everyone again next week.